A little while back, I reached out and I asked you to tell me, what is the biggest challenge you're facing right now in your business? We got a ton of responses and the number one answer was that you were struggling with profitability. So I've created a free video training. It's about 45 minutes long. And in that video, I share concrete tactics for increasing revenue and managing costs. You will get to see my smiling face and you'll also learn how to use some of the templates and spreadsheets that I've given away over the years. Most importantly though, I invite you on that video to think about profitability in a new way. I want you to go watch that video, then schedule a free call with me if you are serious about improving the bottom line at your restaurant. To access that free video training, visit restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash the daily grind. Again, restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash the daily grind. Of course, that link is also in the show notes. Go watch the video. Come back. Make sure you come back because on today's show, we're talking all about the future of ghost kitchens with the founder of Virtual Restaurant Group, a very smart guy named Ethan Falk. I promise you don't want to miss this one. There's an old saying goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for anyone who's looking. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly podcast all about helping chefs and operators build more profitable restaurants. Each week we toggle back and forth between a monologue style format and an interview, but the goal is always the same, to take complicated concepts and make them both understandable and actionable. Why? Because like I always say, information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. Now, this week's episode is sponsored by Virtual Restaurant Group, VRG. They offer innovative, turnkey, delivery-only brands that you're able to easily operate out of your existing restaurant with very little disruption to your current operation. So, we're talking about Ghost Kitchens, a restaurant that would only be visible on third-party delivery sites as a way of driving additional revenue using the infrastructure you've already got. By adding virtual brands into your business model, you're then able to diversify your revenue streams and generate more overall top-line revenue. You already have a kitchen, right? You, you've got a staff, you've got a space to do it, so why not maximize that square footage by adding additional brands in to help increase your bottom line? Best of all, VRG handles everything on the back end. They provide Cubo technology totally free. The very, the very architecture of this software allows you to turn on as many brands as you want, list those brands on as many partner sites as you want, and field all of the orders through one singular tablet and printer. You're not locked into any long contracts. It is 100% free to start. VRG's flagship brand, Midnight Munchies, was one of LA's first ghost kitchen concepts and generated up to $30,000 a month just in online ordering revenue. Onboarding is super easy with recipe guides and step-by-step -step training for you and your staff. Visit virtualrestaurantgroup.com slash chip and use the promo code CHIP2021 to get started. That link is in the show notes. 
So my guest on today's episode is a guy named Ethan Falk. He's the founder of Virtual Restaurant Group. That may sound familiar because they are one of the sponsors of this show. I'm really grateful for his support. Uh, and I'm really excited to be having this conversation about this company uh, that Ethan is building, kind of how he got it to where it is and and where he's going to go from here. Ethan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chip. Really appreciate you having me on the show. So excited to be talking to you. For sure. Um, I, listen, I really like what you're building. It's been cool getting to see it, getting to watch you kind of kind of launch this thing and all of that. But I want to go back before we talk about that. I want to I want to go back and talk about how how you got into the restaurant industry and then use that as kind of a launch pad to talk about why you wanted to start this company or or why you think there's a need for this company. So, how did you originally get started in restaurants? Yeah, absolutely. Um I originally uh, started as a host at a restaurant at an Italian restaurant in Marina del Rey, California. My parents' best friends own this restaurant. It was one of the most it's one of the most high volume restaurants in Los Angeles. Um and I worked my way up. I was an expediter uh, which I always believed was the glue that hold the ba- held the back of the house and front of the house together. Super important, especially in a high-volume establishment. Then I worked my way up to management. Um, and throughout that time, I you know, I was making good money as a server. Like many people do, you get stuck in this cycle for years and years. You, know, you make a couple hundred dollars. You have your days completely free. Um, but I wanted something a little bit more. So one of my best friends who had back of house experience. He went to the Culinary Institute of America. Him and I were sitting on a couch one night and we were realizing that Los Angeles really had so few late night options. There was a couple neighborhood diners and then fast food, but nothing of quality. So his parents owned a catering company and they had a kitchen commissary in Inglewood, California, right? down the street from where the new Ram Stadium was built, SoFi Stadium. So we decided, why not use this kitchen when the catering company isn't using it? So during the late hours of the night, we started at 6 p.m. and went on to about 3 a.m. And we, you know, we, we put pen to paper and we designed our virtual brand called Midnight Munchies which operated at the, out of this kitchen commissary, only using third-party delivery delivery platforms like Uber Eats, Postmates, DoorDash, so on and so forth. Um, and this is before the market was oversaturated. So Uber Eats and Postmates weren't nearly as big as they are now. And, you know, we, we did some experimenting. We, we went out there and uh, we went on Postmates, we looked on our phone, and we saw what was open late at night, and we noticed Chili's was the only restaurant that was open, <laughs> and we went into this Chili's, we went we went to the bar, and we asked the bartender, we said, um, how many orders are you getting a night? And they gave us a ridiculous number, and Lon and I looked at each other and went, oh my god, I think we fell on a gold mine, this is incredible. So soon after, we launched Midnight Munchies, and... We blew up. It was just him and I in the kitchen in the beginning. He was cooking the food. I was in the front fielding the orders, and it just snowballed. And uh, two months went by. We hired one person. Three months went by. You know, we had to hire another. Per- I mean, the volume just kept increasing and increasing. Um, and we were, this is the first time I'd ever done that. Uh, you know, ran my own business, started my own concept, um, and it just. It, 
was unbelievable. We had a, amazing engagement with the city. Wait, so I want to go back here. I want to I want to make sure I understand. So really, we're talking about this this virtual restaurant brand. It's a it's a brand that only exists on these third party delivery sites. There's no there's no brick and mortar. There's nowhere you can walk in and just order your food and take it away. Right. Also known as a ghost kitchen. Um, so you're talking about what back in 2017 something like that so right so this was really before that was even a thing i mean by 2018 2019 okay you started hearing about you know more ghost kitchens or these these virtual brands where big companies would take out a commissary and and put a you know a sushi brand and a chinese and a mexican and a greek and put them all under one roof but you guys really had the vision to see this before it was really a thing i mean there was there was really nobody else doing this. I mean, I think back to 2017, it wasn't on my radar. No, it, it was surprising to me that not many restaurants were doing this. And uh, it's something that all of our friends are like, wow, you really, uh, you're clairvoyant. You've seen it, you saw into the future, um, which which felt really good that we were ahead of the times. Um, and it, at, at that point, there was very little competition in the market as well. But we put so much attention into our food, our branding, our marketing, uh, we were called Midnight Munchies, which is sort of unique. Uh, you, you you scroll through Uber Eats and Postmates yep, no. and you see Midnight Munchies and you go, what's this? So that approach was very, very important. Yep. was taking the stance of being unique, calling ourselves, you know, calling ourselves Ethan's Burgers wouldn't do as well as Midnight Munchies, theoretically. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, but what... You weren't in the restaurant industry. I mean, I mean, how long were you in it before you got this vision? And and how were you able to see this where other people maybe didn't see it? I mean, it's an entrepreneurial kind of mindset. How do you do that? What do you attest to that? Yeah, so I was in the industry for about uh, eight years um, before I started Midnight Munchies. And I, I feel like I've always had a knack for marketing um, and seeing what works and analyzing the market and understanding why one restaurant is doing better than another. It's always been inherent in me. Um, but really, ultimately, I, I saw a void in the market. Here's these third-party delivery platforms within the millennial uh, community, I should say, it was starting to grow a lot of popularity. And because I'm a, right. I'm a millennial, um, born in 89, so I'm not, I'm not too young, but <laughs> I... Uh, I saw a need for this. I saw the opportunity, um, especially because Lon's parents owned this kitchen that was being underutilized, and it was an easy fit. Uh, I saw the opportunity where we didn't have to pay an exorbitant amount of rent because this, my business partner's parents owned the property. So I, we jumped on it uh, you know, as quickly as possible, and we just rode the tide, essentially. And we ended up growing our business to generate about $30,000 in just online ordering sales a month. So it worked, and it was very limited hours as well. Um, we almost scaled a little bit too quickly, where we were running out of space and then encroaching on the catering company's refrigeration space. Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> A lot of stressful moments of, of you know back and forth with uh, with the catering company's management. Um, so I guess I'll fast forward a little bit and tell you how I, I ended up starting Virtual Restaurant Group. Well, I want to get there in just a second, but but I want to talk. I want to I want to make sure that we kind of live in this space first because the beauty of this concept, right, is that you guys had very limited overhead, right? That that the the space cost a fraction of what a regular restaurant space would have cost 
um, you had, you know, you didn't need a lot of managers, a lot of front of house staff. You didn't need a ton of cooks, and uh, and it was finite hours here by by your own admission. Here, uh, it's the definition of uh, of you know. I don't know, it's the definition of innovating on, on a business plan level, on a, on a business model level, that, that the thing that, that is so broken about restaurants um, that drives me crazy is that like we do it the way we've always done it. And uh, restaurants operate with razor thin profit margins uh, because we charge kind of like what we think we can rather than charging what we can get away with, right? And, and I mean that in the most respectful way. You know, I, I did an episode um, uh, about this difference between luxury and commodity a couple of months ago, and it's like, okay, the Birkin bag starts at $35,000 uh, $35, a bag. It doesn't cost them, you know, $10,000 to make it. It costs about 800 to $900 to make the Birkin bag. They are making, an, it's an incredible markup. They charge what, you know, Hermes charges what they can get away with. Um, but what you did here with, and, you know, this idea of, you know, coming up with a brand, you know, that would fit in this niche is that it, it's it costs very little, relatively little, to oversee it. So it ends up being very profitable, much more profitable than running a regular restaurant. Talk to me a little bit about that, and you know, getting into the nuts and bolts because you worked in restaurants for you know eight years or so. So I'm sure you got to know um, the the you know the financials, what it what it takes to to run a restaurant. You look at labor costs, you look at food costs, you look at beverage costs. So talk to me a little bit about that, like the margins and and what made this. Um, so attractive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, be totally honest. In the beginning, we were stressed out because third-party delivery, third-party delivery companies take a significant amount from you. And yep. even though our overhead was low, they were still drawing a ton of our a ton of our uh, income. And that was something that we needed to circumvent somehow. So what we ended up doing was we opened our commissary up for pickup. And we decided that we would, we would essentially branch out to the community and, and open that direct-to-consumer uh, channel. So a couple of things that we did that I thought was pretty brilliant was we installed a kiosk system in the very front of the commissary so we could eliminate you know, incremental employee costs. So customers would come up to the tablet, put in their order, charge their credit card, it would print directly to our kitchen, right? Love it. Another thing that we did was we befriended DoorDash, Postmates, Uber Eats, all the drivers that would frequent our restaurant. Because during that graveyard shift, there's only so few people in that in that area that take on those drives. So we befriended each and every one of them for the most part. And we said, hey, would you like to drive for Midnight Munchies? We'll pay you X amount per delivery. You get to keep the tips. We'll 1099 you. Feel free to take do your Uber Eats and Postmates drives. And we'll give you a call if you want to take the drive. Feel free. So we developed this Rolodex, uh, Rolodex of, uh, of employee uh, uh, delivery drivers to help facilitate our direct to consumer orders, and that's what really set us apart and blew blew our uh, you know business up. And you know we realized that it wasn't sustainable to just do delivery only at this kitchen. Um, with Virtual Restaurant Group, my company, what we do is in addition to your brick and mortar business, that revenue that you're getting from that particular business, you are now driving different streams of revenue using delivery only brands. So as a complement to your existing business, I, it works. It 100% works and will drive a ton yeah. of new revenue to your restaurant 
But by itself, if you're running just a delivery-only brand on third-party delivery platforms, it won't work. So that's what I learned. Yeah, so this is a, this is a really great segue now to, to talk about, because Midnight Munchies, which was just one little one-off uh, you know, virtual kitchen, um, has now spawned uh, a whole company. Um, this is the company that you founded, and you've pulled Midnight Munchies into it, and there's a whole bunch of different brands. And the idea being is that you're helping uh, operators uh, diversify their revenue streams, right? This is one of the reasons why I loved uh, hearing about what you were building, why I wanted to talk to you, why I'm thrilled to have your support uh, on the show. But uh, one of the things that I've been very outspoken about for the last several years, even before the pandemic, is the need for operators to diversify their revenue streams, right? Um, because as we learned in the pandemic, if you only make your money one way, if people come in, sit down and eat, pay you before they leave, uh, when when some climactic event happens, um, you can no longer do that. And it doesn't have to be a, a pandemic. It could be something as simple as a hurricane, as a blizzard, right? I live here in New York City. Uh, invariably, every three or four years, we're hit with a huge blizzard and it wipes out the restaurants for four days, right? And so when you wipe out revenues for four days out of the 30, that's usually your profit. That's where you, you know, where you kick into your, um, you know, into the black. And so it's going to happen. And so being able to have in-person dining and takeout and delivery and retail and at-home meal kits and private dining and off-site catering, this idea of diversifying and and making revenue in a bunch of different ways, which is exactly what you guys have have built or are building. So so talk to me a little bit about that. Midnight Munchies now gets pulled into this bigger umbrella of virtual restaurant group. What's that thing all about and, and, and what are you doing with it? Yeah. So for those of you who don't know what a virtual restaurant, it's essentially a restaurant that exists only on third-party delivery platforms. They're facilitated out of either a ghost kitchen or cloud kitchen, um, which is a shared kitchen space, or an existing restaurant, an existing brick and mortar that's fulfilling these orders through the third-party delivery platforms. Uh, you know, Basically, restaurants are cooking these concepts in addition to their own. And it's basically back in March, all restaurants essentially turned into virtual kitchens. Delivery only was the, or I'm sorry, back in April, I would say, a month after the, the pandemic really hit. Um, restaurants turned into virtual restaurants. Uh, we were headed in this direction with off-premise dining, but it really was catapulted about 10 years ahead of time, uh, you know, ahead of schedule, I should say. And restaurant owners these days are starting to wake up and see the actual value add to virtual restaurants it's something that you know we're in the renaissance if you will there's so many restaurants doing this uh and it's starting to saturate the market but what I, what I see is that the quality is not there um some of my competitors uh you know they have 20 to 30 brands that they're operating um and for virtual restaurant group we're focusing on five brands we're developing that brand equity I partnered with a chef who has trained in France with Michelin star, you know, Michelin star restaurants. He's created this, these amazing menus um, that are very simple to operate. And what we do at Virtual Restaurant Group is we partner with existing restaurant owners that have extra capacity in their kitchen. You know, they have a bunch of they have fixed resources, right? They pay for rent. They pay the same amount for rent, the lights, the employees. Um, there's no reason why they can't add an additional uh, additional brand to their current operation to drive more revenue to their restaurant. Um, so what we do is we look for partners within the restaurant community that are the right fit. 
um, not everyone's the right fit. Uh, you know, Cheesecake Factory doesn't make sense. They already have extremely high volume. They're, you know, up to, up to capacity. So we look for restaurant partners that have very similar skews to our, our particular recipes um, and that have extra downtime and want to increase productivity uh, within, their, within their operation, um, as well as drive multiple streams of revenue to their existing business. I mean, this means you know, for restaurant owners, this could mean the difference between being hands-on and working on lo you know, at, at location to um, relinquishing that to a manager. To being being able to afford that management, so they can go and, and you know do bigger and better things. So you can pull yourself out of the business. I mean, I, I love this because you know the idea is that, like you said, you're already paying rent, you're already paying for your utilities, you already got the cooks there, and if you've got capacity, meaning if the cooks can pick up a couple extra dishes, you know, an hour, um, and you can generate some revenue out the back door. What I, what I particularly love about this is that. A lot of restaurants I hear like, oh, you know, you, you've got to do takeout and delivery. And they say, yeah, but our stuff doesn't travel well. I say, absolutely. That doesn't change the fact that you need a diversified revenue stream, right? That you need something else. So coming up with a to-go, you know, a to-go menu, to come coming up with another concept. I, I love this because you don't have to change what you're doing. Your restaurant can do what it does in-person dining. And if the stuff doesn't package up well, great, don't package it up. But you, by bringing on another brand that does travel well, that was um, that was created to be able to travel well, and it runs out your back door. It doesn't diminish your brand at all. Nobody, Nobody's going to know that it's going out, your, going out your back door. Yeah, 100%. So what are all the brands that you've got? So you've got Midnight Munchies. Tell me about the other brands that are under the umbrella. Yeah. Um, so what we've done is we've designed brands that have a significant amount of skew crossovers, right? So let's say, Chip, you have a burger restaurant called Chip's Burgers, right? And you have... Sounds delicious. <laughs> you have cheddar, <laughs> cheddar cheese on the line and caramelized onions and roasted red peppers. Um, you, can run an, you can run a new restaurant called Chip's, Chip's Quesadillas, right? And now you have to do... All you have to do is source tortillas. You have the cheese in-house. You have the roasted red peppers and caramelized onions. That could be one of your dishes in, a, in addition to many other recipes that are on the menu. Um, so the concepts that we developed work harmoniously together. So we have uh, the dia, which is a quesadilla concept. We have tasty buns. We have midnight munchies. We have wing theory, which is our wing concept. And we have the fox in the hen fried chicken. So... Fox in the Hen fried chicken, amazing, amazing chicken strips and chicken sandwiches. And we really hopped on that craze. I mean, at the end of the day, there's some items that just work. Uh, fried chicken sandwiches are huge. Uh, wings, super easy to facilitate. Um, so delicious. We actually use the dredge for the chicken strips on the wings. We fry them and toss them in our homemade sauces. Super easy to take care of if you're a restaurant owner. Um, we've really we've gone to the kitchen uh, dozens and dozens of times to create these recipes and make sure that they're easy to facilitate. They taste great. They deliver well. I mean, what I what I did, Chris and I, um, what we had done was we packaged the food. We drove it around for about 25, 30 minutes. We we you know we experienced whether or not it was crispy and it stayed hot and it worked. It works. It tastes great. 
from A to B. Yeah, so talk to me. So talk to me a little bit about that because I'm really fascinated about this because you know famously it's like um, so back in the '80s when Pizza Hut was going to own pizza and everybody went out to a pizza place to get to get pizza and Pizza Hut owned that and Domino's came in and said, okay, but we're going to own uh, delivery and. The, as they worked out their recipe, and it's only gotten uh, finessed over the last, you know, 30 years, 40 years, they came up with a recipe that would, in essence, like continue cooking, quote unquote, in the box. That it was only three quarters of the way cooked. That the idea is that it wasn't ready to go when it got put in the box. It needed to steam in the box. And so the last little bit of cooking happened in the 20 minutes it took to get from the the restaurant to your front door, uh, which is something that a lot of places don't think about. So, but you guys are thinking about that, which I love. Um, This is where a lot of, uh, where a lot of concepts fell flat over the pandemic. They just said, well, this is what we do. Okay, we'll do this to go. And everybody got the food home and, you know, we're wildly disappointed because it's like, oh, it it, it didn't really travel well. And I think this is the the gripe that a lot of people have with uh, with takeout. My my father-in-law is notorious for that. He's like got a list of like the only places he will order takeout from because it all just gets ruined in the box on the way home. So, so talk to me a little bit more about that. So you put it in a box, you run it around, you get back and you taste it. And then what do you do? You tweak the recipes to, to figure out how to, how to really make that, make it land. hundred percent. And I learned so much at midnight munchies with uh, delivery and making sure the food quality was there after that 20 minute drive or, you know, so, or so, um, couple things that we did is uh, packaging, right? So some pack styrofoam is terrible for things like chicken strips, just steams up the, the, the chicken and it's terrible for the environment. Um, so what we ended up doing with our burgers and our fries and our chicken strips is we use uh, eco-friendly boxes, um, clamshell boxes, and we, you know, cut, we cut a vent in the box and it works. Um, yeah, your time, I guess the time period of being able to deliver from point A to point B diminishes. Uh, you need to make sure it gets delivered within 25 minutes. Um, but ultimately, those fries stay crispy, the chicken strips stay crispy. And I mean, just countless trial and error um, and hearing what the consumer is saying and tweaking things along the way. Yeah, we work very closely with our restaurant partners um, and our the fulfillment partners to take that very seriously because little choices of what you're putting your food in, it makes a difference uh, in the end results. So. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. You said, you know, uh, customer feedback. How did you how did you gather that, that feedback? You know, because a lot of times something goes out the door and it's like, I don't know, like, did they get it? Did they like it? Did it turn out the way we intended it? So how do you keep tabs on that? How, how have you found? Yeah, I mean, there's a few different ways you can go with that. Uh, what we did was we looked at our Grubhub, Postmates, Uber Eats reviews, right? Many of them left reviews after they ate their food. Um, if it was, if they had a bad experience, it would say exactly why. If they had great, a great experience, we, we were validated on what we were doing. So in the beginning phases, you know, we were learning that, oh, the fries aren't crispy. Why aren't they crispy? What, what are we doing wrong? So we ended up getting a totally different skew, right? So we got a waffle fry that was battered that stayed a little more crispy upon arrival. And it's little things like that where you just start to learn what works and what doesn't and what the consumer is liking and what they're not. Yeah, I love that. So you said you learned a lot uh, over the course of dealing with the Midnight Munchies brand. And so now you're 
I guess, you know, 10 paces ahead of everybody else as you as you look to these other brands and you launch those. So have you guys started testing, you know, those brands as well to figure it out? Or did you learn so much from Midnight Munchies that you that you feel like you're on much more solid footing? How has that process gone? Yeah, I definitely feel like we're on a lot more solid footing. Um, I totally understand. You know, I work with a team of, of people who are experienced uh, with delivery logistics um, as well as uh, just being in the restaurant space, back of house. Like I said, our, our chef has worked in culinary, or has worked in uh, Michelin star restaurants in France and Switzerland, and uh, you know, I'm very confident in his abilities. And we've, you know, I'm so proud of what we've designed in terms of recipes that I believe are far superior than than most options you'd find on Grubhub, Postmates, so on and so forth. Um, you know, not to, to disparage any of my competition, but as I was doing my research and development, I reached out to some restaurant owners that were facilitating uh, virtual restaurants. And I was asking them about their processes, um, as well as, you know, how what their experience is like with operating virtual restaurants. And this one guy I talked to in Florida said, oh, I'm, I'm cooking their burgers, but I'm doing it my way. <laughs> I, I didn't like the I didn't like the recipes that they gave me. So they could take care of my marketing. We're going to you know, we're going to cook. I, people love my burgers. Just, you know, a stubborn restaurant owner. Um, <clears throat> and I see that as an issue within the virtual restaurant space is, you know, the partners that we, we select, uh, we have to be very, very, we have to vet them very, very well. We have to make sure these partners are going to facilitate our orders properly to our standards. And, you know, we're just highly selective. We're looking at their Yelps, we're making Yelp reviews, we're making sure that their brick and mortar establishment is performing correctly. Um, and, you know, the, the service that we provide, the amenities that we provide, we think it's, you know, we're working for the restaurant. And we want to make sure that there's a symbiosis. And we're, you know, if they don't, if they don't perform well, we don't, we don't perform well. It's a very symbiotic relationship. Yeah, so it's this it's this kind of like franchise model where you guys are handling all the uh, the back end, the admin, the marketing, all of that, and they're handling all the execution in their individual markets. Um, and the benefit being, obviously, you get a greater reach that way. Um, you build a bunch of partners. You continue learning about uh, the company, your brands, the customers, and all of that. Uh, but then the other piece to it, and, and tell me if I'm wrong here, is that um, creating something from scratch is difficult. So if you run a fine dining restaurant and your food doesn't travel particularly well, uh, you're going to have to come up with a concept on your own. And either you can build your own concept, which uh, certainly people are, are capable of doing and people have done. Um or you can partner with with these. And so there are other groups out there that are doing this now. That you're not the only one out there. Um, but I love the way that you're doing it, the way that you're coming at it. And, and you're right, you you are coming at it differently than a lot of the others that I've seen out there, really being methodical um, in the partners you choose, really being methodical in the recipes uh, and how they're developed and all that, all of that we've been hearing about here. What, what else, like what's the benefit for a restaurant owner to to work with you guys, you know, aside from the couple of things that I mentioned, like, 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 why, why would they do it? When would it make sense? I think it's a fantastic question. I've, I've, uh, you know, I'm so proud of what we built in terms of the marketing that we take care of, the partnerships that we've made. So at Midnight Munchies, um, this was really in the embryonic phase of third-party delivery companies, right? So we had Postmates, Uber Eats, DoorDash, Grubhub, E24. 
think we had caviar for a little bit as well. And we had five tablets sitting on our, uh, you know, countertop. And an order would come in on Grubhub. We would click accept and print, right? We'd then print to the ki kitchen. Sometimes it wouldn't. And then three or four orders would be coming, would be hitting us at one time on different tablets. And we would just be juggling five, four or five tablets at one time. And if there was an issue, if we were 86 on an item, it was a mess. Um, each company had a different protocol for calling up and saying, we're, we, we have to cancel this order. It was such a headache. So what we yeah. ended up doing was partnering with a third-party delivery aggregator. Um, at the time, it was Ordermark, who is also running a virtual restaurant company called Nextbyte. And what Ordermark did was it streamlined everything and basically uh, you know, took, fielded all the orders and it got sent to one singular tablet and then the tablet printed to one printer in the kitchen. So at Virtual Restaurant Group, what we did was we partnered with a company called Cubo. And Cubo, I think, is an amazing, amazing company. They're based out of Canada. Such a great energy coming from the, that company. Uh, the technology is incredible. The insights that you see, beautiful. And it does a similar thing. So like I said, it, it takes all the orders from those third-party delivery tablets sends it to one singular uh, one singular tablet, which then prints to one printer. And at VRG, we offer that 100% free of charge to our clients so they can manage multiple brands at one time. And we're looking for our partners to take on multiple brands. Um, and in addition to that, we take care of the photography, the social media management, the website development, all the different components of starting a restaurant that a restaurant owner doesn't have the time for. And many restaurant owners do ask me, they go, well, why, why should I work with you? Why wouldn't I just start my own? And what I do, what I respond to them saying is 100%. I, I suggest that you do. It's something that could change your business. Please do it if you can. But we're here to take on that convenience for you, if you'd like. Whether you realize it or not, your website is the most powerful marketing tool at your disposal. It's where people go to learn who you are, where you're located, when you're open, and of course, to see the food you serve. So why would you rely on PDF menus and static text to sell your food? Our culture is visual, and people these days want to see what they're getting. Enter Pop Menu, a website design platform that puts the menu at the heart of everything. Pop Menu's dynamic menu technology serves high-quality photos and allows guests to like and review dishes they love that will then live on that dish's website. These features all feed into your restaurant's SEO results to actually help you rank higher in relevant searches. What's more, Pop Menu's automated marketing tools keep guests engaged long after their purchase, send automated texts and emails to incentivize new orders, and promote new dishes, events, and specials. Pop Menu keeps restaurants top of mind with guests. If you're a restaurant owner, you need a great website that not only looks beautiful, but helps drive more traffic and drives more sales. Use Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. Best of all, listeners of this show can lock in one set monthly rate and get $100 off their first month. Go to popmenu.com slash restaurant strategy to claim this offer. Again, that's $100 off your first month by visiting popmenu.com slash 
restaurant strategy. As always, that link is in the show notes. It is a it is a huge amount of work. I just worked with a, a client who wanted to launch their own um, their own virtual kitchen, their own uh, you know a brand that would only exist on the third party delivery sites. And they've done a lot of what you talked about. They they tried to figure out you know what they had in house, what they could um, you know what what could they um, create on the side and and they did that and it was a ton of work it was like six months of work like really dedicate me, uh, menu development and uh and getting all the the logos and colors and all that branding stuff done and you know and working up the um at working building out the website that was a month or two and all of these things it was a little over six months from hey i think this is what we want to do to when they were able to to list on the sites it just happened last week and it's like I mean, all of that stuff they missed. It's it's so true. Yeah, and something that, that I think what separates us from our competition, um, something that I worked so hard to achieve for Virtual Restaurant Group, is I knocked on many, many doors at uh, Cisco and U.S. Foods. And, you know, if you don't have a physical restaurant location, you know, they're not going to sign you up, right? Cisco's not going to work with you. They might call you at first and then realize you don't have an actual restaurant and not work with you. I had to, I emailed countless people at Cisco, finally reached someone who, uh, who runs the Western territory of the United States and pitched him virtual restaurant group. I explained exactly what we were doing and our, and our plans. And he was incredibly bullish about our idea. Uh, we had an amazing discussion. What he, what we did was we developed a partnership with Cisco. So basically, for our SKUs and our recipes, they would price it at a preferred, you know, price point for us for our particular consumer customers. Um, so that means, Chip, if you were running Chips Burgers and you were buying a case of onions for let's say fifty twenty dollars, uh, VRG Virtual Restaurant Group. Our, our price for a case of onions is $15, right? So now you can shift over to VRG pricing if you're taking on VRG concepts. Um, and now for your existing brick and mortar, you're paying $15 for a case of onions instead of 20, increasing the profitability of not only your, you know, with, with your virtual restaurants, but with your own brick and mortar establishment. So yeah. that's something that our competitors, many of them don't have partnerships with these, these food distribution companies, but we landed that and that's something that I'm super excited to roll out to our customers. Yeah, for sure. And you know, what's interesting is that you, uh, there's a lot of the, the, the virtual, the other companies out there really come from the tech side and they see their business model as tech, uh, as, as tech rather than food service. And, um, and it shows, uh, that you've been in food service, um, for so long because these are all the things that, um, that food people, the restaurant people think about that, um, the tech people wouldn't necessarily think about. Um, I, I want to go back a little bit and talk a little bit more about Cubo because it is, it's an incredible company. Um, and if people don't know this <laughs> just off, you know, just not for nothing here. Um, if you've got four or five iPads set up at the end of your bar so you can be listed on DoorDash and Grubhub and Uber Eats and on and on, uh, there are aggregators out there, Cubo being uh, one of the best out there. Um, it's worth utilizing anyway because it condenses everything into one place. Again, it does what it says. It aggregates everything. Um, totally, totally worthwhile. Um, but what you were saying is that you can have multiple brands listed on multiple 
sites. So you can bring in all five brands into your restaurant, be listed on all of the five major third-party delivery sites, and it's no big deal because it's all going to run through one aggregator and it's going to streamline the whole process. So you just see you know, things coming in in order rather than having to accept on five different iPads. Am I understanding that right? I want to make sure that people understand that listening. Exactly. So you have literally one tablet sitting on your counter now and an order comes in for Uber Eats. It prints automatically to your kitchen. So your, your cook cooks the food, you put the, the you know ticket on the bag and, and place it on your, your rack ready for the delivery driver to take it. A, you know, a Grubhub order comes in. It, it all goes through one tablet and all the analytics are there for you at the end of the night to take a look at. So really it's hands off. It just prints, you cook the food, you do what you do best and the you know the sales sales start to, start to roll in. So tell me then, so people because I don't want to, I don't want to lose this point though. But like, so people are listening. They're like, "Oh, I know Midnight Munchies. I heard of that. Hey, my 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 buddy lives out in L.A. He always used to rave about this place." And they say, "Yep, we we definitely want a Midnight Munchies in our restaurant." Uh, but like you said, you want people to use multiple uh, multiple brands because there's no because there's nothing saying that they should just do one. So so talk to me about that. Are you do you feel it's more successful if people bring in multiple brands to to execute? Um, and what would the what would the downside be? What would the upside be? Yeah, so really there's there's very 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 little downside. Um, like I said, our concepts are very simple to execute. The SKUs across each brand, there's they, they cross over. So with our quesadilla brand, those, those many of those SKUs apply to our burger brand. You have all the ingredients in house to create these different menus. Um, so Midnight Munchies is really an aggregator brand. So if you're running Fox in the Hand, which is our chicken concept, quesadilla concept, our wing concept, um, and Tasty Buns, there are elements from each of those menus that apply to Midnight Munchies. So if you're cooking three or four concepts, why not do Midnight Munchies? It would just drive a whole new stream of revenue to your restaurant. And the thinking being that like when we go to when we open up Grubhub, we're going like, oh, what kind of food do you want, right? Do you want sushi? Do you want Mexican? Do you want wings? Do you want burgers? Once we come up with that, then we'll then we'll make our decision. And the idea being that you want a place in all of those conversations. So if somebody says, nah, you know, let's do wings tonight. No, nah, you know, let's do um, let's do burgers tonight. Let's do you know, let's do, you know, chicken sandwiches that like you're part of that conversation, no matter which direction they choose. Exactly. And um, what's some, so brilliant about virtual restaurants is, you know, when you when you're running a restaurant, when you start, when you start a restaurant, I should say, you're, you know, in your business plan, you project how much you're going to make per square foot. So theoretically, you start the re- you start a ver- you start your restaurant, you're making X amount of dollars. Um, and then you add on some virtual restaurants and now you're driving more revenue and you're now able to present to potential investors in the future that you're actually making X amount more per square foot. So it increases your EBITDA, um, increases your ability in the future to now start that second, third and fourth restaurant in different territories. And it's just a brilliant new forum to to you know catapult your business and increase your your business size yeah i mean i like i said earlier in the conversation i think um that's a lesson that i think a lot of uh, operators learn the hard way and i'm hoping my fear is that people haven't fully learned this um as as restaurants are coming back online 
I've been somewhat disappointed uh, in seeing a lot of restaurants kind of go back to the way they were doing things. Like, oh, things are back to normal. And, you know, right now we're seeing this with the staffing crunch, right? Like all the things we learned, especially during the pandemic, how we could do uh, how we could do more with less. Uh, and then that all went out the window and we're going, I can't find staff. It's like, well, you just figured out for 16 months how to do more with less. Why didn't you bring some of what you learned forward? And certainly there were some lessons we brought with us, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm really surprised at how much we've just gone back to the way things were. Uh, one of the clients I'm dealing with now went back uh, after they reopened. They said, we're not doing lunch. We're not open Mondays and Tuesdays anymore. They were barely profitable. It's not worth it. We feel like we can find better staff, better you know, better work-life balance, all of that if we're just, so they're just open, you know, five nights a week and then lunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Like, that's when our people are, that's when their most profitable services are. So we're gonna do that and they're building a plan now to to really drive um, uh, like daytime uh, event business, party business. And so they're just rethinking rethinking their model and this is one of the things we've talked about is that, um, you know, offsite catering being something and this, uh, this ghost kitchen, this idea of like, what other brands can you execute out of your um out of your out of your back door so to speak uh because it, it's just it's just important um we just have to find new ways to to drive revenue this is what most other businesses do right like big companies they don't just make soda right like coke makes coke and sprite and you know they make all different you know products so that if somebody doesn't want people don't want coke anymore they're like that's okay we got other stuff to sell them yeah exactly and to your point i i feel like with the restaurant industry uh, we're starting to see a lot of laziness, to be totally honest, where for the last year and a half, restaurants have been used to f- not dealing with consumer customers and face-to-face interactions. So you're starting to see restaurants having to readjust and um, start to understand that, start to realize that, okay, we have to go back to actually having good service and not just focus on handing it to an Uber, handing our bags to an Uber driver. Um, and I, I've seen that as a consumer. I was at a vegan cafe the other day and I went into, and I, I see they do a lot of, uh, you know, pickup. I went in to do some work on my laptop and, uh, you know, I ordered my club sandwich, my Satan club sandwich, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, my server was nowhere to be found after I ordered. And she went into the kitchen with what looked like her employee meal. And uh, I see some guests walk in saying, hey, uh, I'm here for a job interview. She sits down at two tables over from me. That same manager who took my order came out and interviewed her. Didn't acknowledge that I was sitting there for the last 30 minutes without my food. Um, and of course, uh, you know, she, she didn't acknowledge me as she got up from that interview. And I, I said, I, I'd get out of my seat. At that point, I wasn't going to eat my food. I wasn't going to wait for my food any longer. I said, hey, what's going on? I, I never received my, my sandwich. <laughs> and she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. Do you, do you want it? Do you, want, do you still want it? I go, no, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. I, this is awful. What, what's going on, guys? Yeah. And I, I think there's just an element of, oh, this is how we're supposed to do it now. And we have to... It, restaurants are now reacclimating to, to this new, you know, this new situation. Yeah, I think I think I've seen diminished quality of food, diminished quality of service, um, kind of across the board. And that's not to knock. I know everybody listening to this is 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 
dealing with the stress of staffing up and trying to put out quality food with much fewer people in the kitchen and trying to provide good service with many fewer people on the floor. And I get all of that. Um, but I just wish we had been smarter about coming back to normal, so to speak, um, so that we could have done it, so that we could have done it better, more intelligently. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I just think, I think the business model is so crazy when we, when we're hoping for five percent profit margin or eight percent profit margin, whatever. Again, I've said this on the show, uh, but most, most other businesses and most other industries, you don't go into business unless you can, uh, unless you can guarantee. 20, 25% profit margins. It's just like, you know, you're out in LA, you know this, production companies, they just add 20% on the top. We're not gonna shoot this film unless we know we can get 20% on the top. And that's how you that's how you put in a bid. That's how you get that's how you get jobs. That's how you uh, become profitable. And and restaurants are just, you know, like, oh, just happy to squeak by and scrape by. I think there's a, there's a better way, and I think this is one of the ways to to drive more revenue. It's not such a bad thing to to have to have more money. It's okay. And you know, I'll go over a little bit about profitability um, now that you talk about it with our virtual concept. Yeah, let's start. Let's start. Yeah. So each concept uh, we have projected, and we've seen that we're expecting three to fifteen thousand dollars in additional revenue per brand. Um, at Midnight Munchies, like I said, uh, we were driving about 30,000 in additional revenue in, with just that brand. So think about that. In addition to your own brick and mortar and the amount of money that you're making from that, you're driving now three to 15,000, doing very minimal, you know, with very minimal disruption to your current operation. I believe Benny, Benny Hanna, a uh, popular restaurant chain in Los Angeles. I'm not sure if it's in New York, but... Yeah, we got them everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, they started a virtual brand called Raw Sushi that I don't believe you even see Benihana attached to that name. Um, yet it's outperforming Benihana, their, their brick-and-mortar location. So the potential is endless for what you can actually make from these different concepts. And there's a few different variables that... Uh, that make a difference. So it's region. You could be next. Midnight Munchies was next to uh, the airport, LAX, very close by, as well as um, hospitals and hotels. So that's advantageous when you're running a virtual brand is being in a very populated area. Um, if you're in a rural area, you might not see as, as much income from, from your brands, but there's still a lot of potential depending on your you know the residential neighborhood that you're in. Um, but the way we do we do a revenue sharing agreement at, for, for virtual restaurant group is we have a 60-40 split, right? So 60% goes to the restaurant, 40% goes to VRG. Out of that 40% for VRG is we take care of paying all the delivery fees. So Uber Eats 30%, you know, the aver average delivery fee is around 30%. Um, our Clients are listed at the very top of these different apps. So, you know, as you're scrolling through Grubhub or Postmates, there's that top banner, that top banner slider, and yep. our restaurants are going to be listed on those those sliders because we have those existing partnerships and we're actually paying the most, the, the highest possible percentage to these, these companies out of our share. Um, so... Out of your percent, the 60%, you're only paying for that food cost because you have the existing, your existing uh, expenses, employee costs, rent, so on and so forth. 
all you're paying for is an additional 25% food cost. That's how we've worked it out. So at the end of the day, you're making about a 25 to 35% profitability uh, from each of your concepts. Just something that it's awesome that we've reached that those margins for you because it's super difficult to do that on your own. Um, and really, the value add is there. You get the Cubo technology. You get all the branding and marketing, the website maintenance, the social media maintenance. And really, all you're doing is cooking the food and buying some additional SKUs that really won't take up too much storage space. Yeah, so talk to me about how the process then works. So, okay, so it's a 60-40 split. The operator keeps 60%. They pay you the 40%. You cover all of the commissions and all of that uh, with that that money. But then how do we get started? So somebody's listening to this and they say, this actually sounds really great. Uh, which, by the way, uh, if you're in a college town, every college town in this country needs a Midnight Munchies. There is zero reason why they should not be in every single college town <laughs> at the very least. I got, I'm thinking of my friend Nathan, who, uh, who's got a place right in downtown Madison, Wisconsin. Like, this would be perfect for them. It's like a no-brainer okay but how does the process start like how does this thing you say yeah i want to do it uh how how long until they say yeah i want to do it to when they can roll out and, and talk a little bit about how that process that vetting process goes yeah uh we're looking about a four to about a four to six week uh launch time from the time you sign up with us first okay. we go through some qualifying steps so we'll hop on a phone call with you get to learn your business and almost immediately I'm able to see if you're a perfect fit for us. Like we won't take on a brand, we won't take on a restaurant partner that we know can't facilitate our brands properly. So what we do is we have some easy to, easy forms, multiple choice form to fill out just to see if we can, you know, we can work with you if your business is able to operate our concepts. So as soon as you fill out that form, you know, we'll hop on another call with you and get this going. We'll send over all the training materials to your restaurant. Uh, we'll sign. We'll send over that DocuSign agreement. Um, we'll have you know Zoom chat so we can get to understand your business and, and essentially guide you on how to start operating your concepts. Um, we'll then work with Cisco or U.S. Foods or your current distributor to to work out uh, your new ordering guides for the additional SKUs that you might be taking on. Um, we'll go ahead and send over the third-party delivery tablet, uh, which is Cubo technology, to help facilitate your orders. And we'll get you live on the third-party platforms, like I said, within 30, 30 to uh, about 40 days or so. And so that's something you help facilitate, getting listed on all the, the sites and, and getting set up with the aggregation. Exactly. We're, we already have partnerships with them. Our menus are already live on their platform. So we'll get the, we'll just literally launch your location. We'll take your, we'll get your address and we'll make sure you're live, uh, you know, within that amount of time. Awesome. Um, Ethan, this is so great. Uh, I, I, listen, I really appreciate uh, the support of the show. Again, um, I really love what you're building. Um, I, I, I I spent a lot of time and care um, curating and cultivating the, the sponsors that I have here on the show. Uh, they're all brands uh, I believe in and uh, products I believe in. Yours is certainly one of them. Uh, what uh, what steps should uh, people take if they say, yep, I really want to do it? How do they get started with, uh, with you guys? Yeah. Um, first off, please visit virtualrestaurantgroup.com. It gives you all the information you need. We have an amazing partnership guide. So you can really see if this makes sense for your business model. Um, it's a completely different model, super, super easy to implement. Um, a lot of restaurant owners feel like 
they, they don't want to disrupt their current operation. They're comfortable. And I feel like when you're comfortable as a restaurant owner, it's the worst place to be uh, because you're not going to be making as much money as you could. This is an opportunity to hop on something that you know, what I consider is a gold rush for the restaurant industry. It's such a, a beginning phase and something that's going to be so large moving forward. So I, I implore you to take advantage with, while you can. Um, so go to Virtual Restaurant Group. You have our phone number right there, our email as well. Feel free to give us a call. No pressure. You know, it's totally free to start, 100% free, no questions asked. Ask. We have a month-to-month -month contract, so if you, it doesn't work for you, feel free to cancel at any point, but I know it will work for you. Um, additionally, uh, something I didn't mention before is, let's say that throughout your dinner shift, you guys are super busy with fielding orders with your own brick-and-mortar, uh, you know, brick-and-mortar orders. Um, you're able to turn off our tablet whenever you want. So if you want to take a pause, if you can't handle those additional orders, you're free to turn us off at any point. So really this is increasing your, your productivity uh, within your kitchen. Yeah. Um, feel free to email. There's a submission form to fill out as well. Um, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And we'll hop on a call and work, work out a system that will work for you. Yeah, for sure. Um, and all of those links will be in the show notes. Make sure everybody uh, knows where they're going, how to learn more about this. Um, Ethan, before I let you go, tell me, what, what's what's the biggest thing you learned? Because again, you've been in the restaurants for a long time, um, both in the other work you do and in, in, in the work you do at this brand. What's the biggest thing you've learned over the last year and a half? Um, I think the biggest thing I've learned is there's so much potential to increase your sales to hyper focus on your branding and marketing there's so many new outlets that you can exploit to help increase your bottom line and i'm so excited that you know i was given the opportunity to start midnight munchies um the pandemic hit and i took this as an opportunity to help restaurant owners because ultimately that's why i started it i saw that this concept works this work this business model works, especially if you're running your own operation and you want to take on an additional brand. I see that it works. This is something that I'm so proud to roll out. And what I've noticed is restaurant owners that do take on these brands are super, super thrilled that they did because they're looking at revenue they haven't experienced before. So I think opportunity is there. Ultimately, to answer your question, there's so much opportunity in this marketplace, um, so many resources at your disposal to take advantage of. Um, and it's there for the taking. And you can you can do it. It's super easy. And I look forward to, to talking to you guys about it. Yeah, listen, I, I love it, especially as I look at this and you say, oh, between three and $15,000 per brand, If you even if on the low end, you made five thousand dollars in additional revenue per brand. You brought in three brands, fifteen grand in additional revenue. It might not sound like much, but when you start doing the math and you and you lay it all out, it is like you said earlier. It's a difference maybe between an operator uh, having to work the line and being able to take a night off, or you know, remove himself from the operation uh, and you know, let a let a manager take over, let a you know, let a sous chef take over, uh, whatever that is. Uh, it's totally true. Uh, any last words of wisdom for the listeners before I let you go? Um. I don't have anything for you, but thank you for listening. <laughs> I think we I think we covered everything for the most part. 
Listen, we did. We 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 covered a lot. I, I appreciate it. No, I mean, you're coming at this from uh, you're coming at your business the same way that I come at my business, which is that uh, if there's things you know, there's things you've learned. Um, you can you can help people by passing that along and and by you know offering something that's gonna that's gonna help them out. I firmly believe that. There's that Zig Ziglar quote that I love, love, love. Uh, it says, uh, "You can get anything you want in life as long as you help enough other people get what they want." And I think it is uh, absolutely true. It's the beauty about being in the service industry is that we get to serve people every single day. If we serve enough people, they are going to make all of our dreams come true. So um, listen, Ethan, I appreciate it. Uh, really, um, really excited for the brand you've, uh, you're building, the company you're building, the brands you're launching. Thrilled that we can be a part of that in some small way here on the Restaurant Strategy Podcast. Uh, thank you for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Chip. I really appreciate my time here as well. My pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your day. Me too. Thank you. Once again, I want to thank Ethan for taking the time to chat with me today. If you want to learn more about working with his company, Virtual Restaurant Group, please go find all the links in the show notes. Click a link. Go schedule a call. Just find out more about it. Again, it's 100% free to get started, and it's a great way to drive additional revenue. Uh, The the future of ghost uh, kitchens and virtual brands is going to be huge, especially over the next few years. Get in on the ground floor, especially with a proven brand, with with a portfolio proven brands like Virtual Restaurant Group has. Listen, I want to remind you again uh, to go watch the video, the free video training all about profitability. Again, that link is restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash the daily grind. It is in the show notes. I hope to see you there. Stay cool, stay creative, and I will see you next week. Restaurant Strategy is made possible by the generous support of our sponsors as well as our Patreon supporters. A special shout out to all of our Gold and Platinum members, Ty Hames, Bob and Kate Carpenter, Scott Middleton, Chuck and Denise Close, Stephen and Ann Fagan, Mario Tomatos, and Christopher Tana. If you want to become a supporter, please go visit patreon.com slash restaurant strategy. Again, the link is in the show notes.